Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Start a new series today on essentials. When I say essentials, what pops into your mind? What's something you'd say, I just can't do without? It's essential. What is it? I don't know. Your phone? I don't know. Your house? Imagine your house is burning down right now as you sit here. No, not as you sit here. It's burning down right in front of your eyes. You get home, and there it is. It's on fire. What do you do? You've got a couple of minutes to go in and just grab whatever is most important to you. What do you do? What do you go in? What do you grab? I hope that is not the case, by the way. Like, this is just an imaginary thing, right? I'm not speaking doom over your house. But imagine you get there, and it is on fire. What do you grab? What do you go in? What's essential to you? What do you go straight in and go after? Is it, is it those pack of letters that have been written to you? Oh, hang on, I'm speaking to the wrong generation. For some of you, there's letters that you once wrote to somebody and they wrote back to you. Something like that. Maybe you go in and you grab that computer. It's got, you know, that hard drive's got all your files on it. It's got, it's got all your photos on it. It's something important, it's precious. I don't know, maybe it's Miffy the cat. You want to get in and grab that, you know. If you've got little kids that can't get out by themselves, maybe they're the first things, of course, that you'd want to make sure that you take. But let's imagine that you go in and you grab whatever is most important to you and you manage to make your way safely out with those few items, those few things that are essential to you that were so important. And you watch as the rest of the house just burns to ash. Everything within it just goes. And right in those few moments, you've made a really important decision. You've made a decision to save what is most important to you at that time. What's essential? The very things that you know, you you probably took some things that you know you're not going to be able to replace real easy. Things that contain something that is essential to just who you are, your fabric, your makeup, something just so important. And this series that we're about to embark on, it's only three weeks long. But these are the three essential things that we believe in this house that are just so important to who we are and what we're about. You know, our vision is to to be a family embracing the Father's presence, releasing an empowered people who would declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. And so out of that vision statement, we have some DNA, some stuff that we say are are our values, and there's more than three, but these are the three that we believe we just want to sow deep into this season for us. And the first one I'm going to be talking about tonight is family. Family. We believe that God created family so that First and foremost, we not know who we are, but that also he designed the church like a family so that we know we could be together. God has the plan of life and love of wisdom, especially knowing him and, and, and experiencing him that is to be passed along from generation to generation. There'd be a, a generation with knowledge and wisdom and insight that we would experience God in his fullness and that we would be able to pass that on to another generation. 
Psalm 79 verse 13 says, From generation to generation, we will proclaim your praise. In other words, God made such an impact in the psalmist's life, in the life of the people whom he was writing on behalf of and for and to, to say, God, we know that you are so awesome, you're so good, you're so real, you're so grace-filled that, that we just can't help to want to make sure the next generation doesn't lose its way. Make sure the next generation. And the church is a family of generations. Sometimes when churches start talking about families, People who are childless, people who are divorced, people who maybe have lost loved ones, people who, who never married, that sometimes they feel left out, but, but that's not part of God's plan. That's not what I'm talking about tonight or why I will give reference at different times to the biological family that we all came from and are part of to some degree or another. What I want to talk about in this reference to family is doing church together, is being this family a family embracing the Father's presence, building family through meaningful connection points. When we talk about family, we're not just talking about this biological family, but the intergenerational family of God. We're all as sons and daughters. We can also look at each other as brothers and sisters. There are three critical moments in the history of family. God had a plan. And this plan was for family. And the first important part of God's plan was that you need to understand that family is God's idea. Family is God's plan for us to understand grace and understanding the nature of God. Grace at its very core is so much more than just God's unmerited favor towards you. His grace in the idea of forgiveness that we receive. It is that, but it's also so much more than that. Grace includes forgiveness, but God was gracious long before anyone ever sinned. Grace refers to this gratuitous goodness of God, the generous, empowering presence and self-giving love of God. And that's why he created family. See, God wanted to create something. You know, we sing and we just read that God is love. If you do not know uh, God, uh, if you do not love one another, you don't know this idea of the concept of God. God is love. And, and he could self-exist all by himself. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, already in family, already in relationship with one another. God's love isn't deficient, but out of his great love for us, he created us so that we would love him back. It's like this, this idea of uh, the, the love got kind of better, not that it was, it was less than, a hard concept to define, but as he created us, what he did was give an expression of love in the hope that this love would be returned. No one ever has a child without thinking this child is actually going to love them. And God gave birth to humankind. God spoke into being the creation of all the world. And at the pinnacle of that, he created Adam and Eve and, and he breathed life into our bodies. He said, let us create humankind in our own image. Us. Strange thing, huh? Because we consider sometimes God, but right at the very beginning, God Father, God Son, and God the Holy Spirit coexisting, this idea of them in, 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 in this, this love relationship. 
created humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. We have this wonderful, beautiful picture of us being created out of the very love of God, in the image of God, receiving our life from God, his spirit breathed within us. It's like this perfect idea of family. We have a father. Unity, sons, daughters, knowing the love of the creator of the universe. He says, I am your father. You're my daughter. You're my son. And this brings into perspective the very first part of family that is so essential for us to understand is identity. The world will try to label you or want you to label yourself around a whole bunch of various different things, whether it be your sexuality, whether it be your wealth, whether it be your status, whether it be your power, whether it be your position, whatever it is, the world will try to hang a label on you for your identity. And God says, I want you to remember first and foremost, the very core identity, the very idea of the whole family of God is that our identity rests in that we are sons and daughters of the creator of the universe. He's our dad. It's unthinkable, isn't it? It's just mind-boggling to try to grasp your head around. But the main limiter to your growth as a Christian comes down to your identity. Before we can really grow in our relationship with God, we need to find our identity as children of the Most High God. Out of that identity, we'll understand what he's called us to receive and be able to do what he's called us to do. I love this. Bill Johnson says it this way. He says, the devil and God are both asking you the same question. Who do you think you are? One asks it out of an accusatory tone. Who do you think you are? That's the devil. And God's asking out of invitation, who do you think you are? You see, if we don't get our identity right, you're either going to live from your identity or you're going to live for your identity. When we respond to the accuser's voice that says, who do you think you are? We are going to try every single thing in life to try to find our identity and we're going to try to fight for our identity based on what we do. But when we're asked the question as an invitation from the God Most High who created everything and created us to be in relationship with Him as sons and daughters, and He says, who do you think you are? Then we can start to live from that identity. And there's a a major difference in how you're going to live out your Christian life as to whether you're going to live for an identity or from an identity. Even when you wrap that in religious talk, so many people have come into church trying to find their identity as sons and daughters by what they do. See, I'm a good son. Look at how good I am. Look at how much I work. I'm a good daughter. Look how much I gave this week. Look how much I served outside of this. And he says, you're still living for your identity, I need you to get it straight because it's not until you're living from your identity that you have the security to be just how I made you to be, how I breathed into you to bring you to life and created you so unique and special. And and, and this is what I need you to know. He says, you're my precious son. You are my precious daughter. I'm well pleased 
with you. I love you. So God in his grace creates this idea of family. And the degree to which we become uninhibited receptors of God's grace is the degree to which we can and will extend that grace to others. Now, this is really important. See, your identity is not just for your purpose. Nothing in the kingdom is ever you-focused. Do you realize this? It's not about our story. It's about his story. It's about where you fit into this. Now, your inability to receive grace, to be a, a receptive of God's grace in your life, is the degree to which you will be limiting how he's going to breathe grace through you to others. So this is the idea of family. He gets a whole bunch of people, sons and daughters. We don't look a thing alike. We don't sound alike. We're like, you know, you meet those people who are twins and you go, why? Because we have this idea of identical twins all the time when we hear the word twins. And you go, but one's a guy and one's a girl and, you know, or two guys, they look totally different. And God's created this family, brothers and sisters who don't look a thing alike, are from every nation, every tribe and every tongue. We're also very different and vastly, you know, from all different backgrounds of life. He brings us all together and he says, the love that I have given to you, grace extended, this gratuitous love that I have for you extended towards you to be called my son and daughter. If you don't get a grasp of that, you're never going to be able to get a grasp of loving people in my family who look a little different. Sometimes we get to Christmas I have a dysfunctional family. I love my family, but I don't spend a lot of time with them through the rest of the year. They live in all sorts of different places. And when we come together, you really notice 12 months difference, right? You kind of go, we all come in from different places around and, and we go, wow, the kids have really grown. That's some hair you've got going on there or, you know, whatever it might be. But you always realize that someone around that table, they're a little funny. They're a little awkward. They're a little weird. It could be you at that table that's a little awkward, a little weird. But we have this idea that we're going to need to re receive grace in order to give grace in a family setting. The greater the revelation of your kingdom identity is the greater release of your kingdom authority. The greater revelation of your kingdom identity. I'm a son. I am a daughter of the most high God will be the greater release of your kingdom authority to walk in that. And we learn all about God's kingdom through the family model. That's part of the beauty of generations together. That's part of the beauty of having others come and collide with one another in this family of God provides opportunity for grace to be expressed. It's grace incarnate, if you like. It's grace with one another. And once we secure in the fact that we're his kids, it's then we're ready to be grown into the role of spiritual mothers and fathers. Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. For this reason... I kneel before the Father from which every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with his power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know that love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the, full, to the measure of all the fullness of God. What a passage. This is about family. This is about doing this together. Do, do, you want to, do you want to find yourself to be filled to the measure of the fullness of God? Would you like that? Do I have anyone? Do I have a taker? Just one. Yeah, that's good. Well, if you would like that, you know what? You don't get it by living the isolated Christian life. You don't get it. This passage here is telling us that what is required to walk in the fullness in his spirit is with the unity that is found in unity with one another. It's found in all of God's people. You see the Greek word that, that Paul uses that he's writing this text in for the word for father and the word for family, they're so closely related. They're almost the same thing. And he's referring to that, but beyond this whole idea of family, he's referring to the very character of this family. The very name of this family is the name of our Father in heaven. Let me rephrase it just a little while. Let me play with the words a little bit to give it its meaning for us today. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father from whom every family, every family in heaven on earth, comes from, was created by, and to be expressed towards. This is the whole idea of family. I pray that you being rooted and established in love, that's the whole idea of what families do. Families are supposed to gather everybody in and firmly root them and plant them. I want my kids, it's in the natural now, okay? I want my kids, I want Jake and Liam, my two boys, to grow up knowing that they are firmly established within my family. They know who they are. They're Robertson boys. We have little things that we say about ourselves. My kids, are, you know, uh, if they're just getting lazy and giving up on something, I say, hey, 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 Robertsons don't give up. They know it. They will parrot it back to me now. Okay, okay. Robertsons don't give up. That's good. I, they, we can show the negative side of that out later. I want them to know right up front. We don't give up. That's what we don't do. I want them rooted and established. It's like God is taking all these people, all these various different forms of, of plants, of, of people. He's grafting us all in. You know, we're all going to look a lot different to one another, but he wants us to be rooted and firmly established in the firm foundation of who he is. This is your identity. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a son. You're a daughter. And it's out of that that you now find all this next part. This is beautiful. They have then the power together with all the Lord's people, all this one great family, to grasp how wide, how deep the love of Christ is for you and you and you and you and you and you. He's saying you want to know how high the love of Christ is. You want to know how deep 
the love of God is for you, you will never find it by yourself. Although you may encounter him and you may know him as a very personal and real experience, the depth of understanding the love of God is because we all come together and if we're not secure in our identity, measure of the grace received is to the measure which grace will be given. It's then we start to, as we give it and as we work together, as we come together, we will find this love of God that surpasses all knowledge, this love of God which is so rich and, and, and deep and beautiful for each one of us. That's God's plan. And that's the first most beautiful part of God's fam plan. And do you know the, the family as God's idea? It's meant to express and mirror this ultimate spiritual truth of him being the father of all. This is not some arbitrary cultural artifact that may come and go. That's not what family is. Family's not just some biological mechanism that happens to be handy to pass on DNA so the gene pool can just keep spinning over. It's a divinely ordained idea. And this is why for all people, young, old, we want to find where we belong. We want to find where we fit in the family. It's created by God to be a reflection of his character, the manifestation of his kingdom and the vehicle of his grace. Kingdom business, family business. Kingdom work, family on mission. But unfortunately, it didn't stay like that. And we all too well know it's not like that for all of us either. You see, as you look across family and the history of family, we get to this moment where the very first kids stuff up, they fall. You know the story, Adam and Eve, right? Here they were, God's kids, breathed, made in the image of God, knew, were secure in their identity, so much so, they were naked. There was nothing between them and God, neither physically or emotionally or spiritually. They were, they were he, he knew every part of them and they were okay with it. There was no problem there. Such was this love, such was this understanding of who they are. And then, you know what happens? Genesis chapter 3, we read about it. The man and the woman, they eat the forbidden fruit. And God says, have you eaten the fruit of the tree I commanded you not to eat from? And you know what? Adam says, yes, we did. That, that was it. I'll take the blame, God. It's all my fault. Don't you worry about it. God, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry on behalf of me and my wife. Like we just, you know, like we did the wrong thing and we're sorry. Is that how it rolls? No, that's not how it rolls. There's one other woman in the whole world. And he says, that woman, she, the one you gave me, that woman, she's the one. She's the one. He doesn't say, my beautiful bride, that one in whom you took out of my rib and made to be my helper and we just fit together so wonderfully perfect. God, I'm sorry on behalf of both of us. No, he says, that woman, your fault, God, you gave it to me. Look what happened. She made me do it. You know, you've heard yourself say it. You've heard yourself say it. That's your kid. Look what he's doing. It's not my kid. It's your kid. What about your mother? Look at your mother. My goodness. 
We, we, you don't even fess up with what's happening here. Blame, deceit, cowardice, denial, unresolved conflict, they all start there. Do you see part of your family in this? If you ever read through Genesis, the thing that will strike you is that this is a story of families. It's not a great family story, but it's a story of families. These aren't Brady Bunch kind of families. These are more like the Kardashians. <laughs> you read through and you start to find the, the first two kids, Cain and Abel. One kills the other. Not a great start. And then there's a guy, Lamech, he, he comes in, he comes in, he introduces polygamy. If you don't know where that is, you can research it later. He says, be careful though, as you do that. Ask your parents, that's a better idea. A man named Noah, he gets drunk. One of his sons dishonors it, so he curses him. The curse sticks. And he's, he, Noah's the most righteous man in all the earth at that point in time. That's kind of a low bar right there. Abraham lies about his wife, says it's my sister twice just to protect himself more than her. He has a child with his wife's maid eventually abandons that child and the mother. His other son, Isaac, and his wife, well, they spend the rest of their lives playing favorite between their two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob, with the help of his mum, deceives his dad, cheats his brother out of his birthright. His brother ends up spending the rest of his years trying to kill his brother for doing that. Jacob goes on to marry two women, He's Lamech style. He has children with both of them and, uh, and with his servants. I mean, like, that. it's just, it's messed up. Anyone feel better about your own family right now? <laughs> See, these families, it's like current affair material. And that's just the first book of the Bible. And it's interesting, the writer of Genesis does not try to hide any of this doesn't try to square it all away and make it look all shiny and polished and just beautiful and just right. And that's because there has never been a golden age of the family after the fall. Never. But it's through this dysfunction, this messed up families that God is present, that he's working to keep the dream of redemption alive. It was families that were laid open before us in all of their humanity and all of their brokenness. God didn't give up on his way that he wanted to reach the world through people, through family. You see, the church is not just a place for successful together, healthy families to come together and smugly congratulate each other on just how absolutely pure and wonderful we're doing. It's a place for people in broken families, marred by the sin and Time to be able to come together and confess it with one another. To allow God to do what only he can do. So our church, as a family, should reflect families within Scripture. Not going after the bad, but not being, trying to cover it up either. Just being honest with one another. When we come to church, we might wear nice clothes, we might drive nice cars, but... We ever have to break through that crust of appearance, of superficiality to understand that we're really more like one another than we realize. We'd probably all benefit from having a 
to make out that we're something we're not. Listen carefully to these statements. And if one of these statements reflect with you, I'm going to ask you to do something within a minute. Listen carefully. Ever been a part of a family, either you, your, your parents, your cousins, whoever? Ever been part of a family where there were children who wrestled with spiritual doubts? You think there is no God, maybe there at all, who wrestled with insecurity, peer rejection, low self-esteem? Ever been part of a family where there were drinking problems or experimentation with drugs or sexual activity outside of marriage? Maybe unwanted pregnancy, maybe abortion. Or someone experiencing confusion, anguish, torment over sexual orientation? Ever been part of a family where there are angry, bitter words that were spoken through clenched teeth? Ever been part of a family where kids felt like failures because of their grades or the ones who got straight A's were a messed up, you know, anxious, stressed out kid? What about people who come to church and their spouse isn't with them because their spouse is at home? And they wonder if they're ever really welcome because they don't fit the perfect pattern. Or perhaps a married couple who come and they sit together and they look all together, but they haven't slept in the same bedroom for months. Or people who've been through the pain of divorce, families who've been rocked by sexual unfaithfulness, emotional affairs or betrayal. Being part of a family where people have never been married and they wonder if they really belong here. People that carry a secret like sexual addiction, pornography, the guilt that eats at them from the inside, but nobody knows. Parents who feel like failures because their sons and daughters are a long way away from them and a long way away from God. You see, if we're going to be a family together, we're going to have to dethrone the idol of pride and image and appearance. We have to dethrone it. We've got to name our brokenness. We've got to understand that really we're all a little messed up. Now, I want you to be real honest with me. And even if you're scared, just be honest. Was one of those statements a reflection? Just one of you. Pop up your hand. Your family, your family, somebody else's family, a cousin, someone within your family. Just pop it up real high. Don't be afraid. Because don't be afraid. I'm telling you why not to be afraid. Have a look around the room. Keep your hand up. Have a good look. Turn your neck right round. Have a look. Have a look up, up the back, down the front, right across the sides. There's not a hand that's not up. And if it's not up, you're not telling me the truth. I want you to remember this moment. I want you to remember this moment that we are family. You have a home here because none of us, the next time you feel like you don't belong because of your brokenness, I want you to remember the moment we all put up our hand, my hand's up too, because we're all from broken families. We're all at. Don't allow shame. Don't allow disappointment. Don't allow that, that, those condemnationary, condemnatory thoughts to stick to you. You are welcome here. Welcome home. This is family. So if it was God's plan that we'd receive grace, but it wouldn't just be an individual thing, we'd receive grace as a family, we'd call ourselves by our true identity as sons and daughters, and we would therefore be able to turn to one another, extend that grace, and look at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
that we would have spiritual mothers and fathers who would parent us, grow us. So each there is an intergenerational blessing that goes on as we grow in our faith. How do we get past this, the brokenness, the hurt, the wounds, the stuff we carry when we come in here? Our hope is in Jesus. Because this is the third part of the wonderful plan. If God had this idea to, to live out the rest of eternity with the people he makes because he loves us and wants us to understand how much that is, but we stuff it up and he says, that's okay, I have a way to fix it. And his name is Jesus. And the hope of the world stepped into our humanity and he himself had a dysfunctional family. Ever felt a little weird because you're growing up with a, a stepdad or a stepmom? Jesus knew what it was like. He had a great relationship with his real father in heaven. But he grew up with a family of stepbrothers and sisters. And he grew up uh, not, you know, the, the dad, Joseph, he knew wasn't his dad. But that's okay. It didn't stop him from doing what he was called to do. And so he presses on. And, and you'd think, wouldn't you, that if you were the saviour of the world, perfect in every way, never sinned, that your family was going to get on that train. They were going to be the biggest cheer squad ever. They were going to stand there and they were going to be like, oh, go Jesus, go Jesus. You're so awesome. That's my brother. That's my brother. I'm so proud of him. I can, I, uh, I stand on the sidelines as a coach playing rugby with one of my kids playing and I'm, I'm or cricket when they're playing cricket season and they hit a great shot, they score a try or whatever, you know, like, I'm like, do you see that? <laughs> That's my kid. Yeah. It's good. I just live vicariously, you know. <laughs> so, so good. My boy said to me one day, don't tell me the score. See, we're mad keen Broncos fans as well. He said, Dad, if I got drafted into the NRL and it wasn't the Broncos, would you still come and watch me play? I said, yes, mate, of course I would. I'd be so proud. He said, what if it was for the Bulldogs? I said, I don't know. I don't know. He said, are you serious? He said, no, of course I'm not. I'd be so proud. And you'd think that if your brother is the saviour of the world, the Messiah, the one who's come to liberate and set people free, You'd be like, that's my bro. His mum was super proud of him, but even she, at various times, was lost in this whole idea of what Jesus was doing. See, in Mark chapter 3, we read in verse 21, when his family heard about this, meaning when they heard about Jesus going throughout the land, teaching, healing people, disturbing the peace by telling the righteous people that they really weren't that righteous after all, when he gets to this point, this is what happens. When the family heard about this, hanging out with sinners, spending time eating with them, socializing with the outcasts. When they heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, he's out of his mind. You see, they were so worried. I don't know, maybe they're worried about their reputation. Well, he's hanging out with sinners. What's he doing? He's challenging the religious elite. Calls them like whitewashed tombs. He goes around speaking stuff that half the time we don't understand what he's saying. 
but he's got a whole lot of people following after him, but we're not sure we want to be associated with those people. Some of them are prostitutes. Some of them are tax collectors. Some of them the outcasts. My goodness, what is going on? So they go and they want to make an intervention. That's what's happening. We are going to have an intervention here, Jesus. Time out. He's gone crazy. Come with us, Jesus. Don't worry about him. Come with us. And Jesus is at this place and he's teaching inside this house. And his disciples come to him where he's ministering and teaching. And they say, hey, Jesus, um, your mum's outside and your brothers, they're there. They're waiting for you. And this is what he says in the same chapter, Mark chapter 3, a little later on, verse 33 and 34. Who are my brothers? Who are my brothers? Like he doesn't know. Of course he knows. He asks them the question. Who's my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those seated in a circle around him and he said, here, you're my brothers. You're my mother. Jesus starts this new family, this whole new idea This is part of God's plan. This is the birth of the church. These are the people who he now says, if you come to the Father through me, I'm the only way. I'm the truth and the life. And if you come to the Father through me, then you can call yourselves brothers and sisters of mine and you can find your identity back in Jesus. So all the messed up stuff, which will still be there, you can kind of go, I have hope and I can find forgiveness and I can look beyond that, knowing that that is very real because every single character in the Bible has a floor except for Jesus. And, 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 and And he's now my hope because he is perfect of me knowing my identity of the Father and I have a whole new family to share that with. What a cracking idea. And this becomes the new reality. There's never been a family like this before. The transcended status and gender transcended background and nationality, age and generation, language and skin color, culture, And the church just took off all through Acts. This new family where everyone was welcome. Come via the gate. Come via Jesus. And you are my brother. You're my sister. And John 15 verse 12. Jesus said, my command is this. Love one another as I have loved you. And sometimes that love may be confrontational. Sometimes it's painful, but it's always giving. Regardless, love one another the way I've loved you. Now do that for each other because you're brothers. Now do that for each other because you're sisters. Did you know you have never looked into the eyes of another human being in which God did not pay the ultimate price to have as his son and daughter? The person you can't stand at school, university, workplace, your neighbor, maybe it's a family member, but there has never ever been a person who you locked eyes with that Jesus didn't consider it actually worth dying for so that they might know they are a son and daughter of the true God. Not one. 
Not one of every culture or any other race or any other place within the whole of the world that you could look your eyes into. Not the Hare Krishnas across the road, not the Muslims who are down the lane, not anyone who has any other belief system, atheist or not, or whatever it might be. There is not a person you have ever looked into the eyes of that Jesus first didn't look into the eyes of and say, I'm willing to pay the ultimate price of my life for theirs so that they can come to know their identity as a father as a son and a daughter of the most high God and then they become our brothers and sisters you know you can be part of that family the father's still bringing in children I think one of the most poignant scriptures maybe of all things it says in Psalm 27 verse 10 it says Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. You can be part of his family. The Lord will never turn you away. You can join this family. If you're not in the family, you can join it today. If you've never done that before, you can come to God. You say, God, I just want to be part of your family. I want to confess to you that Man, I've been living my own way. My identity's been in everything else other than the security of the you of my great father. I want to be part of this family where I have brothers and sisters. I want to know the forgiveness that Jesus, you offer. I want to become a part of this family that I know my eternal home is secure. I want to know that my identity is secure. I want to know that I, I have some part to play in this wonderful family to, to bless by the grace that I've received. Your love that you're pouring out now as an invitation towards me, I can now pour out to the rest of this world. The enemy is trying to kill every idea in our society at the moment about family. Whether it be same-sex marriage or abortion bills or whatever it might be, the family unit is becoming eroded left, right and center and it is not that idea of God. The enemy knows that the next great revival that will break out across this world will be a family revival. It'll be when we can actually Treat each other like proper brothers and sisters. Now, I don't mean like you treat your brother and sister. I mean like brothers and sisters in Christ. When we love each other as Christ has loved us. Jesus was not lying when he said, you will be known by your love for one another. I will be known by your love for one another. Why did he say that was so powerful? Because this is the means of grace. When these seats start to get filled up, have a look. We don't even open up the back section. When, if you're sitting up there, you should be sitting in here. When, we don't, when, when that is full, when these are full of people, that I can guarantee there will be people who do not look like you. They will not smell like you. They, they will not have the same accent as you, but they will be called your brothers and sisters because they have opened themselves up to the love of God in their own life. There's the invitation. This is the power of church. This is the power of family. When we get this right, this is why it will be the great next revival of God that will sweep through the world because when we get it right of loving one another, he will be seen in his glory amongst us. But if we walk in here like there's nothing wrong with me, I smell good, I look good. Did you see the car I stepped out of? My family's sweet. We never have any arguments. No one in my family's dysfunctional. 
If we do that, if we don't just fess up to the mess, if we don't confess it to one another in a safe and private and good environment, if we now can remember the moment we've all put up our hand, including me, to know that actually, you know what, I have a place to belong and I'm going to work through all of that crap and I'm going to get to a place where I can actually receive the grace of God in increased measure so that I can give the grace of God in increased measure. We are going to see this place fill up like that. That's the next challenge. Not to fill it up, to be that kind of person. What can you do as a member of God's family to be more like the type of family that God's always hoped and planned for? Is it to agree with God about your identity? Is that what you need to do tonight? Do you need to finally put that to rest? Do you need to just accept your identity? We have far too many in the truest sense of the word, bastard children walking around. Where we don't know who our dad is. We can't afford to do that any longer. Tonight's the night you can settle that. Perhaps it's to actually rise up to be the mother or father in the faith that you know this is an intergenerational family. Don't wait for a mentoring program. Don't wait for us to lay something out on a platter. If you've got kids, they have hopefully some friends. Invest yourself. Become a youth leader again. I don't know. So into the kids' ministry. We need intergenerational families that love one another. Perhaps your challenge tonight is to see others as brothers and sisters. Look and love on one another through a different kind of lens. The lens of the love of a father, which makes us family, brothers and sisters. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.